Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Well, Jay, how are you doing this morning? Good, good. How are you, man? Doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. I I really appreciate it. Um, Do you mind giving a brief bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Jay Malik. I'm the GP and founder of Countdown Capital. At Countdown, we're investing in founders that are rebuilding the American industrial base at the earliest stages. Um, you know, generally speaking, we think founders building areas of heavy industry are building companies that are both geopolitically important um, and more commercially viable than ever before. And the right ones will produce outsized returns for us as investors. Uh, so we're usually investing in industries like manufacturing, defense, aerospace, energy, construction, mining, etc. Any industry that can be considered as part of heavy industry, um, we're taking a look at. Um, and we often invest at the pre-incorporation and pre-seed stages. So um, oftentimes we commit to invest uh, as early as an idea with no company formed yet. Um, so that's high level who we are and what we're doing at Countdown. That's great. That's great. And you recently raised a, a new fund. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. It was a $15 million fund too. We're pretty excited about that. Very nice. Very nice. Congratulations. It's, it's no small task to get those things together. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. This is, this is really exciting. Well, um, Jay, uh, what has shifted that has made it easier to start these kinds of hard tech, you know, American diamondism companies? Uh, you know, Capital is actually getting more expensive right now. It was really cheap for a while, um, but but what what else has shifted that has made it much more it made it easier to kind of build these kinds of companies over the last kind of decade or so? Well, I'm not really sure if if we can say that hard tech is you know is, is has made you know has been easier over the last uh, three to six months versus before that. Um, I think in general, succeeding in hard tech requires. Uh, a skill set and a founding team that has a different persona than your average SaaS founder in general. Um, and so whether that success is harder or not than before, or easier or not than before, is up for debate. But I think it is certainly different and there's certainly a lot more airtime being given to important issues. Um, and so in that sense, uh, if it's if you think uh, eyeballs mean something is easier than I guess it is, but in my opinion, I don't really think it has been made easier. Um, it's more of a narrative that it has been made easier. Gotcha. So, that's great. That's great. Uh, with with the, the crisis in Ukraine, with the rise of China, do you, do you think it's gotten easier to, to make this sell here of, uh, you know, leave your, your, your SaaS job and come work on these, these harder, uh, more uh, difficult problems? 100%. Um, and I think there there is actually some danger in getting, uh, there is some danger in, in making these problems seem easier than they are. Um, but without a doubt, a hundred percent. It's been easier to convince people post Ukraine um, than before. Got it. That's that's great. That's great. Um, I, I'm curious. How much does automation play in, into to what you invest in? Uh, how bullish are you on industrial automation over the next kind of twenty years? Do, do you think we'll see a, a big wave of this? Um, I, I'm reminded of of, of Hadrian, uh, the, the big the big. Um, Kind of machine tooling company. My brother worked in a machine tooling shop for a while. He's a mechanical engineer, 
and, and he noted how custom and how um, just how difficult automating a lot of what uh, these machine shops do is on a day to day yes. basis. Um, so, how, how bullish are you on using automation to to uh, industrial automation, and, and where we'll go with that over the next ten to twenty years? That's a very broad question. I think um, you know most people in tech maybe aren't aware of this, but the fact is that industrial automation is already very pervasive across many manufacturing settings and, and is a large contributor to efficiency already in the U.S. economy, right? So um, the question is not like, am I bullish on automation? The question is, am I bullish on what kinds of automation? Um, and I think um, in general, uh, I do not think pursuing automation just for automation's sake is something that is worth pursuing. Um primarily because in a lot of ways it disenfranchises the kinds of people that we need to be interested in rebuilding the industrial base. Um, and also because it, and oftentimes it, it does not actually lead to greater operational efficiency uh, compared to using a, a, you know, a team of people. And so um, in general, the way I look at automation is if it's, if it uh, enables orders of magnitude, uh, uh, better oper uh, you know, better operations or better margins, go for it. It's something that will definitely be, um, a key advantage for companies uh, that are able to do so. But um, saying that, you know, you want to automate something just because you want to automate it and make it seem like uh, there's some, uh, you know, coolness or sexiness, sexiness towards it uh, that makes investors interested. I don't think that's worth, uh, I don't think that's a, a great way of building a business. I'll put it that way. Makes sense. So you need to be very thoughtful about where to use automation and where not to, where you run into kind of, kind of the Elon uh, Model 3 production problem issues. Yeah. And, and, you know, generally speaking too, right. Um, automation, what most people think about when they think about automation is uh, they think about like a computer reducing um, the ability of a, of a human being to make a certain decision or to do a certain process, but um, computers need to learn from somewhere, right? Machines need to learn from somewhere and human beings are going to be a big part of the learning process, um, whether it's now or 50 years from now for industrial machines. And so in general, um, automation requires knowledge, uh, knowledge of what to cut out, knowledge of how to streamline. And that knowledge is, is right now concentrated in the hands of humans. And so even uh, the very idea that like uh, automation uh, is necessary and more automation necessary, more automation is good, requires more knowledge, more great people. And, and so I generally speaking, do not think that automation is a zero sum game. Like if you want to increase automation, you have to increase knowledge, increase people. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Jay, you invest quite early in uh, in hard tech companies, which is really cool. They're, they're, this is a this is a narrow vertical. There are not many people that do this. Um, what do you look for in successful founding teams and successful founders uh, that that is a good signal that you'll be able to that, that that they will be successful in the long run? Great question. Um, so there are numerous ways to take this question. Um, I'll, I'll answer what we, what, what we are trying to avoid or, uh, specifically, you know, what, what we, what we prefer, uh, not to invest in, right. As opposed to, um, what we would like to invest in. And so the big thing for me to start with is that we do not want to invest in founders that are easily, um, able to derive their unique insight or opinion or secret on a market just by looking at the news. We think that um, earned insights and earned secrets about markets, about industries, about building a company are done by putting in hard work. And so that means doing hundreds of cold calls or getting connected with the, with the highest decision makers in an industry 
or, or simply just working at, at other companies in the space that you want to build a solution in, right? We think it's, uh, we think secrets are earned. We think insights are earned and we are, we're primarily looking for people that have done the hard work to earn their insight, not necessarily just take uh, some sort of talking point out of our research report. So that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, we are looking for a founding founding team or a founder that has thought about the market in a way that doesn't just cover market size, but also covers market dynamics. And with that, what I mean by that is like, unlike software, uh, many of these markets like manufacturing, defense, aerospace, construction, et cetera, these are all trillion dollar markets. They're extremely large. Um, the, the customer set in a lot of ways is proven out, right? And so the question is like in these industries that are often monopolistic and or oligopolistic, how do you penetrate um, the, the industry knowing that the dynamics are going to be quite unfavorable to a new entrant? It's not just whether it's big enough. The question is, are these markets open enough or are, is there a right wedge point or entry point to disrupt uh, a, a, you know, a suite of incumbents? And so the market dynamics and knowing whether a founding team understands those market dynamics is really important to us uh, as part of the evaluation um, system. The third uh, sort of metric that we're looking for, and, and we talked about this earlier in terms of talent, but a third metric we're looking for is the ability to recruit talent. And that is we're looking for people that can either uh, inspire people with a very bold vision um, that, that, you know, that really gets people excited, that, that makes them want to work on really hard problems, uh, and or people that have worked on hard problems before that have a track record of hiring people on, uh, to work on hard things, right? So maybe they've led teams before at companies like Anduril or SpaceX, and they want to start something new, and they're taking that track record and applying it to uh, founding their own company, which can be very, very helpful. And so in general, it's, it's these three factors, it's ability to recruit talent, uh, it's market dynamics, um, it's understanding the founding team, uh, you know, and then their own personality and skill set on a deep level. It's these few things that, that matter a lot to us at Countdown. That's great. I, and you mentioned something very interesting there uh, early in that uh, earned secrets. It, it seems like there's 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 probably like something like an efficient market for secrets in that you've got to expend some energy to 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 find something someone has missed. And just reading industry reports probably won't get there. You need some unique insight from something that's like more illegible to actually be able to um, find like this $20 bill on the sidewalk, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. That's cool. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, I I'm curious. You mentioned something interesting there at, about market dynamics and needing to understand market dynamics in a very robust way. Uh, and earlier you talked about the political and, and managing the political how important is managing the political in, in when building hard tech companies? I, I remember reading about maybe with SpaceX or Anduril having to actually litigate, um, you know, some federal government purchases because, you know, Boeing, whoever the incumbent is, uh, was, was doing shading things or something like that in order to win deals. How often do you, you have to actually like bring in the attorneys to, to uh, in, in the BD process when you're building hard tech companies that sell to, you know, entrenched government like interest or things like that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, attorneys are obviously a big part of any company, but I think it's it's uh, especially important for hard tech companies because of ITAR compliance, um, CFIUS regulations, et cetera, et cetera, increasing restrictions around doing business with, with foreign entities that are adversarial to the United States, right? So from that perspective, um, bringing attorneys into the process is important. However, waging political battles is not the same as bringing an attorney into the into the fray, right? Um, and I think 
the political battles that founders need to wage in hard tech are definitely a lot more steep than uh, your traditional software company. You know, for example, if you're an aerospace company that um, wants to fly a supersonic jet, for example, you need to make sure that you get approval from the FAA or you get a certain kind of regulation tweaked in your favor. Um, and so these kinds of quandaries are, are uh, regulatory quandaries are really, really uh, important for hard tech companies to deal with head on. And therefore the founders of these companies uh, need to have a political bent in some way, shape or form. They must uh, enjoy fighting political battles and or they must have an eye for hiring people that can fight political battles. It's extremely important if you wanna have an unfair advantage um, in these industries, A, but B, if you wanna make sure you get to market in highly regulated markets. So um, yeah, that speaks hopefully to the importance of a political balance here. Makes sense. So understanding policy is important. I remember we had Eli on the show who used to run policy for Boom Supersonic, and, and he talked about how important it was, like just navigating the landscape, even just to, to test these kind of platforms um, in the real world was, was really important. Um, I, I, I'm curious, what companies are you most excited about in the portfolio? I, I know it's like you know picking your children. Perhaps it's kind of a difficult thing, but uh, are there any that stand out as super interesting that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Um... You know, the, many of them are in stealth, so I really cannot comment, even though I'm super, super excited about, you know, most of my companies. Um, but the ones that aren't in stealth that I think are, are obvious um, would be first Hadrian. Uh, and, and, you know, Hadrian has obviously done an incredible job over the last couple of years. Um, they recently raised, I think it was a $90 million Series A in Series A Prime. Um, and what Hadrian is doing and what Chris Power is doing at Hadrian is incredible. Um, he's single-handedly, in, in many ways, revitalizing manufacturing tech um, in Silicon Valley and 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 beyond, um, and I'm seeing many many companies and founders uh, look at his success and think, uh, why can't I do that, right? And so that's that's really really inspiring, and I think in a lot of ways that's that is the Elon effect on a very very small level, and I'm very excited to see how that develops as Hadrian grows. Um, the second company that is out of stealth that I can talk about that I'm excited about is a company called Otis Aviation. Um, Otis is building long range vertical takeoff and landing uh, aircrafts and I'm very excited about Otis because they are not focused on, on generic urban air mobility. They're they're working on revitalizing and replacing regional routes um, that, uh, frankly, have not been seeing a lot of air traffic recently, um, but but I think are going to be crucial to making sure that you know rural America has access to urban American resources over the next you know couple of decades. And so, their ability to, for example, connect uh, you know people in Missouri. Um, to the people in California through a short flight uh, is going to be really important um, and a way to bridge the gap between the urban-rural divide here in America. That's great. That's great. I, th- I'm really excited about that. That, that is a uh, that's a very useful piece of technology. And being from rural Eastern North Carolina, this is something that will be the uh, quite appealing to someone like me. That's uh, that's great. Um, Jay, I, I want to talk a little bit about China now. Um, you know, there's a narrative that's popped up recently that you know. There's an incoming demographic demographic collapse in China, and it's something we just we we don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, it's something that will kind of pan out, and they're just going to kind of wither away over time. It's not something we have to worry about. How scared should we be about great power conflict with China, um, and how prepared are we at this current moment? I, I remember reading some reports that it seems to be that we struggle to keep even just a consistent supply of munitions for our aircraft and all, all these you know super expensive weapon systems we have. How prepared are we and, and how sh- concerned should we be about great power conflict with China? It's a great question. Um, so right now, my team and I are actually working on a piece that outlines how we think about 
this great power competition with China at a high level. Um, in general, I think we are better prepared than some people think we are, thanks to the house of cards that the Chinese economy is built off of. Um, and the economic tools we have at our disposal to disrupt their quality of life is pretty substantial at the moment. Um, however, this advantage is eroding, in my opinion, at an, at an alarming pace, especially in the last two or three years. And uh, we must uh, back our efforts to uh, stave off the CCP with consistency and supremacy in aerospace, defense, manufacturing, energy. Um, right now, today, today's uh, China's pace of increasing scale in these areas is undoubtedly higher than ours. Um, and the CCP is working day and night to displace the US dollar as a world's reserve currency. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, and they're certainly aware of the problem in a, in a greater way than we are. So uh, what do you owe that advantage to? Are they just, uh, they have more state capacity? Are they, are they better managers? What do you think is going on there? Uh, they have unmatched control, right? Um, the reality is that they have unmatched control over the, the country's industrial capacity. I mean, in the, in the last, in the 14 years since California launched its high-speed rail initiative for SF to LA, less than 125, 120 miles even began construction, right? In that same amount of time, China constructed close to 25,000 miles of high-speed rail, literally its entire country, right? So they are they have unmatched control over the capacity by having a single-party state and a communist state. Um, and they are also rapidly developing their hypersonic arsenal, and they're a large outbound investor in, in, through both hard and soft ways in alternative energy technologies, right? And so... Uh, in general, um, they have unmatched industrial capacity. They're taking a very tactical look at how to support other countries and get access to their resources. And, and you know, they are very hyper aware of the fact that um, they need to solve these problems. And unless, and if, and if they don't, frankly, they will they will see a huge decline on the world stage in the next 20, 30 years. Uh it, it it seems quite quite scary that you know they're aware of it and, and they're working to it and and. It almost seems like, uh, is it your sense that the American government is is less, um, just seems to have less agency? In the, I mean, I know we're thinking about this now in a more robust way than we were in the recent past, but but it almost seems like if the narrative is, well, they're just going to wilt, wilt away over time, and they've got this uh, sense that they can do something about it, and they're trying really hard to do something about it, it seems like a recipe for disaster where we, we don't prepare enough, and then uh, they actually can find some way uh, to get around these demographic problems and economic problems they have and uh, remain like a real competitor over time. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly not an ideal mindset to have, I think, uh, as a nation. However, um, I think the beauty of America has always been that the private sector takes uh, takes things a lot more seriously that, that matter for both commercial and geopolitical reasons than the U.S. government. And, you know, the private sector will, uh, you know, I think eventually be a stimulant for the U.S. government taking things more seriously. And so uh, I'm bullish uh, in the sense where I think people, uh, uh, you know, like me, hopefully in VC, in, in startup world, and even more broadly uh, in finance in general, will start realizing uh, the importance um, of making sure that we have enough industrial capacity that um, of investing in like emerging technologies that matter. And I think, uh, you know, ultimately us taking it seriously is going to make the U.S. government take it seriously over time. And so... Um, that's my my bull case, at least on on where we go from here. That's great. That's great. Well, um, Jay, what's next for Countdown? Uh, what does the future look like for the firm? It's a great question. Uh, we just raised fund two, so uh, at the moment we're not we're not planning to fundraise anytime soon. Um, 
We'll be releasing more details publicly soon on some other initiatives, but we're mainly working right now on a new initiative called Countdown Collective. Um, Collective is is essentially, um, at least once it's fully built out, going to be a modern day industrial guild. We want every single early stage hard tech startup to start their journey on the hunt for talent with us, um, especially those in our portfolio, obviously. Um, and as an early evidence of success with the collective, we've helped more than half of our portfolio companies find co-founders and early early hires for this initiative. Um, and some of those folks have been successful at you know well-known companies like SpaceX, for example. And so, um, you know, the collective for us is is a really big push. Uh, we're basically trying to become a talent curator, um, and we're going to be holding in-person and online events that are invite only in the coming weeks to really open up access beyond the folks that are currently involved. So I'm very excited to kick that off. That's great. That's great. Uh, well, Jay, super excited about wor- what you're working on. I'm glad you're admiring this problem. This this helps me sleep better at night. Um, where can people find you? Where should we send them? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, Jay Malik should be right there in your search bar. Once you type in my name, um, my DMs are open and or on email. My email address is j at countdown.capital. Always open to an email. Super. Awesome, Jay. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives.